0: Fantastical Truth returns for another unique episode. Our podcast mission is to find truth in fantastic stories and apply this truth to the real world that Jesus Christ has called us to serve. I am E. Stephen Burnett, Lore Haven's publisher.
1: And I'm Zachary Russell. But today and today only, I prefer you call me a four letter word. No, not that one. Call me Zach. And that's because we'll be discussing whether or not Christian stories should use swear words. That's one of many things we're going to be talking about today. The topic for episode 19 is, how do Christian authors stay sensitive about grittier than PG-13 content? So this is a special presentation from last year's Realm Makers conference. You'll hear hear the recording after Steve and I talk for a little bit. Realm Makers is a professional organization for Christian writers of fantasy, sci-fi, and other fantastical genres. They have a membership program for writers and online community, monthly webinars, annual summer conferences. Uh, Steven and I have both been uh, involved with Realmakers for a number of years now. Steven has been to the conference several times. I've been there once. We'll both be there this year, although this year it'll be virtual like every other conference. And we'll talk about more of that in a minute. Steven and I both write fiction. We don't talk about it a lot on this podcast, but you'll see more of that in the future. But I can't say enough good things about Realmakers. Steven, I'm so glad when you introduced me to Realmakers, what it was like three years ago now. I've been writing my whole life. I've been writing short stories, all different types of stories, but it was only a few years ago I set out to write a novel. It was about 2015 is when that really kicked off for me, and, but it was joining this community in 2018 that made me believe I can do this. I can write a book just like all my awesome new friends <laughs> that I met at the conference so, listener, you know, even if you're not a writer, m- maybe you can relate to a sentiment that I sometimes feel. Okay, I'm going to get really vulnerable here. Sometimes I have this feeling I'm too weird for Christians, or I'm too Christian for the weirdos. Okay, now you have to understand. I grew up in Austin, and the motto here is "Keep Austin Weird." So, being weird is a normal thing of life. But you know, I went to a, a much more conservative small town college, and I know that. I, I'm weird. Okay. I don't know, make any apologies either. But Realm Makers is definitely a place that welcomes the weird Christians uh, precisely because it, it's, you know, it's the weird stories like science fiction, like fantasy, like dystopian that really need a Christian voice. And And the reason I say that is because so many of the stories that dominate the New York Times or the box office are the weird stories. And with that there comes a lot of challenges for the christian writer that wants to make a believable story from a christian perspective in these genres so we're going to talk about that today in a lot of detail
0: you may be weird zach but i think that you and i are both actually very normal we're we're just we're just ahead of the curve a little bit all this sci-fi all this fantasy i mean at its best it is a forecast a foretaste of normal life in eternity for example In the New Heavens and New Earth, when a lot of fantasy will be coming to life, a lot of sci-fi, I'm sure, will be coming to life. I wouldn't expect a lot of dystopian, though. Uh, Certainly not in real life and possibly not a a great trend in literature, uh, unless it's a sort of a a retro focus on alternative histories of the old Earth that had been uh, passed away and remade by Jesus. So, okay, in one way, weird. Yes. But just an encouragement to those who feel weird at its best, if you are weird in a biblical way, you're actually not that weird. You're the normal one, and the folks who are distracted by uh, all of the normal things, all of the small details, <laughs> and the polit- they're the weird ones, actually, all right? From an eternal perspective, it is most likely. Nonetheless, yeah, weirdness does, uh, does come with the territory, and we do need to e- expect uh, that label. Uh, in 2019, uh, the recording that we have here is actually from 2019. It is a panel discussion called grittier than PG-13, writing and the Christian author. Uh, in just a moment, we'll say a little bit more of what that's about. Uh, first off, uh, especially if you're an author, but even if you're a fan of these kinds of stories, sometimes authors can end up talking to one another. Uh, I definitely prefer reaching out to new fans. That's what this podcast is about. That's what the Lore Haven is about. And uh, actually, increasingly, that's what Realm Makers Bookstore is about. Uh, A few years ago, they actually started a bookstore and began going to homeschool and other conferences to share these stories with new fans. I've actually been there several times, helped them out with the booth, got to pitch a lot of books by friends of mine. And in the future, I'll probably be pitching my own. So they're doing that all year round, at least when we have conferences. And then every July, they have their own conference. It would have been... This year in Atlantic City, New Jersey is still figuring out what they're going to do with the pandemic. So we ended up going virtual, which has a lot of advantages. Actually, you can go to Realmakers.com for more information about that virtual conference. It'll be uh, this July or uh, check the link that most absolutely definitely will be in the show notes. Uh, the virtual conference will be hosted on uh, the discord server. Uh, we're going to use video and all kinds of other uh, venues to connect with one another to simulate that human contact as best we can, text and video, great interaction. Uh, the faculty, by the way, includes such fictional luminaries such as Thomas Locke, Indy Wilson, C.J. Redwine, Stephen James, and many more. Uh, Zach, I'm actually personally uh, been gifted with the opportunity to do some mentor sessions as well. Uh, and it looks like I might be hosting at least one panel discussion too. I think by now the mentor sessions might be filled up, but I've let them know that, you know, hey, if everyone's pounding at the doors, uh, really wanting to talk to me in a mentor context, let me know. I'll see what I can do. Just uh, ask me or send us a note if you're interested. I'll, uh, I'll see what I can do. Lorehaven will be there at the conference with the virtual booth. Uh, we're going to share reviews and uh, much, much more.
1: One more pitch for Realm Makers. So normally conferences like this are in the four or $500 plus range. Plus accommodations, travel, meals, and all that. Realmakers is incredibly affordable.
0: Even when it's a real live conference, it is supremely affordable. How much more so now?
1: Yeah. And if you sign up for a Realmakers listener, just know that you get so much content and so much such a great community. You won't regret it, is all I'm gonna say. All right, so let's turn to this panel that we're gonna hear, this recording. So the audience for this panel was all authors and writers, but you know, we think that readers and fans of fiction can benefit just as much as writers because it really helps to hear how authors work through these issues. These are a lot of thorny issues, you know, and and just in case we're not clear, we're talking about all the content that causes content advisories, you know, on movies, TV shows, books, whatnot. So this panel is all about Christians talking about how to deal with that sort of content in their stories. Many of the authors that you're going to hear are professing Christians. The moderator of the panel is Randy Strew. He has a very deep voice, so you won't miss him. And you're going to hear more of Randy in our next episode, and we'll wait to tell you what that is. The other authors on the panel are C.W. Breyer, Brent Weeks, Harry Brooks, and our own Stephen Burnett. Yes,
0: they let me up there. Uh, A nonfiction author, at least so far. My first book will be nonfiction coming out this fall, uh, September 2020, and they let me crash it. (laughs) A really, uh, really great blessing there. Really, really great opportunity. And at first, by the way, I didn't even know uh, that Terry uh, sort of Shannara Brooks uh, would be there. Uh, You'll hear the introductions in the recording, by the way. It it is a different sort of recording. Uh, You will hear it's uh, not exactly the microphones that we have now for recording the podcast. So be aware of that. Uh, You'll hear some people whispering in the background, some students very eagerly taking notes with their keyboards. But I think our voices come through pretty well. And I think they're fairly distinctive behind the scenes tip, by the way, listen for the moment when one of the authors CW Breyer is talking and people just kind of start randomly laughing there in the moment. If you want to know the meaning of that Easter egg, stay tuned to the end of the panel. And we'll have a little bit here at the, the end of the panel recording here in this episode. I'll let you know just exactly what that bit of laughter was about. As far as I know, uh, CW Chuck Breyer uh, may not himself know, and I, I actually may have to go tell him a year later. With that, let's go into our panel now.
2: Thank you for joining our panel today. If you weren't aware, this is the grittier than PG-13 panel. I feel like you've been warned. <laughs> I want to introduce our panel today? Uh, on my left, CW Breyer, the amazing CW Breyer. The gentle giant E. Stephen Burnett, <laughs> the lovely Robert Liparello the talented Brent Weeks, and the incomparable Terry Brooks uh-huh. for us today. Thank you for being here.
3: The elderly.
2: The elderly. <laughs> All right, so let's begin the panel off, uh, off right. Uh, I'm going to Throw out the first question and then uh, I'm going to let you guys, because I think there's a ton of you and you probably have a lot of your own questions. So we're going to kind of let you guys direct things a little bit yeah. because I don't want to. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: so, grittier than PG 13, we're talking about this in a Christian conference. <gasps> Why?
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: because it's fun. <laughs> um, so for me, it's it's about showing the, the world as it is and having characters deal with the world as it is. Uh, it, I write dark fantasy. The world has to be dark. And there's also different audiences. A big thing for me is we're all going to write at a certain level. We're going to find certain audiences. If we're all trying to follow the same rules of content, that makes it awfully hard to reach certain audiences. A uh, good example I had is one of the things that set me on writing Journey was the... Uh, Robbie Zachariah Summer Institute went there. You're there with some Christians, some pastors, some priests and things, and they showed a movie that has an F-bomb in it. And their idea there was actually uh, Sunset Limited, I believe is the name of it. It's got Samuel L. Jackson and Tommy Lee Jones, once an atheist professor, One's a Christian, an ex-convict, uh, who's come out and still talks like an ex-convict. There's a Sam Jackson movie with an F-bomb? You're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and they had amazing dialogue, and, and their idea was, they said, we're going to warn you in advance, it has some language, but we want you to be able to handle these conversations in the real world. This is an amazing movie that digs into some topics, and this is life. Let's dive into it and learn from it. And So that's the
0: same thing for me with, with writing grittier fiction bouncing off what uh, Chuck said, um, our Lord and Scripture has given us three main missions. The first one is to worship Him according to how He's revealed Himself. The second mission is to join with His people in this mission in, in the called the Church in the World. And the third part of that mission is to engage the world around us, to share and act out the Gospel. If we're not willing to engage this kind of content, we can't fulfill that mission. In fact, we won't even understand the Gospel because this dark reality is our world it is not how God created it it is however how it has become based on Genesis 3 if we don't understand that and if we weaken the impact of sin and evil and suffering all around us then we're not going to get the gospel right we're not going to be able to fulfill that mission as humans redeemed humans if we're Christians but as creators we're also not going to be able to write realistically the world building will be off It's like missing a fundamental element of the creative process altogether if we try to sentimentalize or clean up the world. And ultimately, we'll end up saying to the people around us or to our readers that the gospel only works in a world that's already been cleaned up by something
5: else, which is not how the gospel works. Well, those are good answers, so I don't have much more to say beyond that. It's pretty comprehensive, too. Those reflect my feelings. Uh, We are trying to um of mirror the world, mirror our audience uh, not that we expect uh, I write both adult and young adult um, a little bit less of the grittier stuff in the young adult, but uh, probably it should be switched with with what the young young kids are watching on games and, and movies these days but um, basically there are some times in in scenes as, as you probably have run into where, You can only use one word, or you can only use, you know, some language. It's just ridiculous to have your character running from, you know, a a bunch of bullets and saying, shoot, you know. (laughs) encourage (laughs) encouraging. So, anyway, we'll explore more. I'm sure.
6: I was trying to think about this, uh, the other day, of if everybody knew um, what was good and did it, would we have anything to write about? Mm-hmm. Like, like, the, uh, the essence of, of fiction is conflict, and, and, and conflict uh, most often comes from sin of, of some type of Somebody wanting something, or or you know, maybe they're mistaken. Maybe they don't know what the good is. But 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 usually it's from people, or it's often from people who know what the good is and they don't care. So uh, so you can like put up little little boundaries and say we can talk about these kind of sins, but not these ones over here. To me, that's kind of artificial. It's like we're talking about sin if we're writing fiction. And. Maybe you can write fiction without it, but I'm not sure. I'm not actually sure you can. Um, so so, so, so when, when, when I was writing, uh, when, when I write, I'm writing to a secular audience, um, and, and I'm just trying to write honestly. And uh, the, the, the thing that came to my mind is, um, <clears throat> which, which one is, uh, the, these movies are so old, I, I hope you guys know the references, but, but like, when I think about violence, and I think about the violence in the movie Rambo, you know, like, like he's mowing down hundreds of people. And, and like, like, it doesn't matter, or, or, or what? It doesn't matter because they're communists or because they're brown or, or, or like, it, like, it's just, like, they're, they're not actual people. that it trivializes the violence versus the, the, the violence you see in Fight Club where some guys get beat up and one guy dies and it's gross and 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 one of those movies got called out a lot more for for its its violence and grossness And, and and that was Fight Club people thought it was terrible this is so disgusting it's like guys that's that's right you should feel like that when you see somebody get their head blown off it's not funny it, it, it should turn your stomach. And and, and so when I write uh, violence, which I'm, I'm writing epic fantasy, there's lots of violence, I, I, I'm usually doing it in, in a way that's, that's, you know, on, on a scale toward the more realistic. It's like, you shouldn't feel good about this. You shouldn't feel like, I killed that guy, but he was a bad guy, it didn't matter. Um, the, 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 there should be some heft to it,
7: so. Uh. I've already forgotten what the question is. <laughs> <laughs> Epic wow. fantasy. I, Sorry. I, <laughs> I would. Uh, I would say a couple things about this. Um, I don't write to a faith-based audience. Uh, I never have. I never had to because I was writing in the Tolkien tradition, which in fact is uh, based is really directed towards that audience anyway. So it doesn't make any difference. There's no hard language. There's no. Uh, no. There's no. Uh, Graphic violence, uh, graphic uh, sex, anything like that—that that would be objectionable. So, if you start writing that way, as Brent and I are doing, we're we're already there. You know, we can't change. We have to stay with this because your audience expects you to write what you write, and not to suddenly switch gears and go off on some tangent or other. The problem we've got, you know, I would I might take uh, I might take issue with the question, uh, of the matter about uh, whether you, uh, young adult fiction is any less violent, graphic, or p- less PG-13 than anything else, you haven't been reading the right people lately, because <laughs> there are some very heavy duty s- books out there by some very graphic artists. Many of them are young women, which I find very interesting. Uh, but um, the trick the tur- really for writers is to choose what it is you're going to write about early on and then stick with it, because that's what's going to carry you through uh, and, and make you successful. You can't just suddenly decide to go off and do something else. And that has to do with your style of writing as much as it has to do with the subject matter. So you, if you're going to write something that involves violence or sex or language, you have to make those choices early on and you have to stay with it. And if you've decided you're going to do something hard-edged and you're going to mirror what is true about this world, which I think you need to do, you have to find a way to do it and you have to find a way to do it that you're comfortable with. Is that possible? It is. I believe it is, very much. And many good writers have found a way to do it. You just have to be true to the rules you set for yourself, and you don't go outside of them. Can you say something about violence that doesn't involve the F-bomb? Sure. You can do it. You can find a way to do it, and you can find all kinds of ways. we're, we're, We're word crafters here. There's all kinds of language we can use. So I think there's many opportunities for this, but you do have to make those rules for yourself and you have to stick to your moral code when you're writing your book.
2: Uh, Terry, I'm going to have you keep the uh, microphone because now that we've established a, a kind of a baseline philosophy of what we're talking about here, uh, just like a one sentence, one sentence of direction of who you are, on down the line, just in case anyone here is not familiar with some of the panelists here
7: who am I? Who, who are you? Oh, <laughs> I'm Brent Weeks, <laughs> I write fairly passable fantasy, <laughs> I have a small but growing audience, <laughs> I'm picking out Brent, it's not fair, I'm not Brent Weeks, I'm Terry Brooks, uh, and uh, I've been writing uh, fantasy since, well I've been published in fantasy since the 70s, Um, And I've been writing Tolkien-esque fiction primarily, but I do some other things as well. Uh, Everything I write though is pretty much in the same vein. And there's almost, I I can hardly point to a book where I'd say to people that I think maybe this is something you should steer clear of. Do I have relationships in the books that are, for example, uh, a gay relationship? Yes, I do. Is it the centerpiece of a book? No, but it's true about the world, so why should I not write about it? And I think that's what you have to do. So that's pretty much my story. Uh, my name is Brent Wakes. I have a small but growing audience.
6: <laughs> 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 I've, 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 I've written two series and I accidentally did something Terry said was smart. Um, <laughs> and violated several others. Um, a- after I wrote Night Angel, which is sort of a, um, a-, 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 a little more familiar kind of medieval western setting, uh, I decided to do something very different right away, um, mostly because nobody realized yet how well those books were selling, and, and Terry said good job doing that, because otherwise they would have made you write those assassin books for the rest of your career. <laughs> um, and, 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 and the next thing I, I've written is the Lightbringer series, which is ending this October, uh, after five books, uh, and, and that's sort of set in a uh, or pseudo-late pseudo 1500s uh, medieval uh, worldview world, world with uh, in, in the Mediterranean. Sorry, I am a little tired right now. <laughs> late, late night last night. Um, and and so, that's who I am, I like,
5: guess I'm done. <laughs> I'm a Robert Leperulo. I write uh, thrillers mostly. Uh, I have a young adult series that's a time travel story. And uh, then I have two pretty much adult books, and adult meaning not young adult, uh, as opposed to porn. Uh, um, and those two of those. That uh, next door. Two of those involve uh, immortal vigilantes, so that gets into the fantasy realm. Uh, but my other books are kind of shoot 'em up, kind of thrillers. So. I'm Stephen Burnett. I'm the uh,
0: editor and publisher of Lorehaven Magazine. Uh, we review a lot of the types of books that y'all are writing. So if you get a book published, we're going to consider it for review because we only want to do positive reviews. One thing that we decided early on with the review format was we were going to have a short section called Discern because we do reach out to mainly Christian audiences, and Christians like to have a checklist of things to discern. We don't give a checklist, we just give like a couple of lines. Some books, the lines get a little bit longer each time. But this is mainly for the case of trying to match the book with the type of audience that's best suited for. We're not gonna say this is a bad book, no one should ever read it. I think that's absurd because God has given each of us a different journey, different maturity levels and if we're in communion with our families and our churches and people who know us, then we're going to have a better idea of what we can handle, what we can explore for his glory and in understanding our world and creating new stories. Uh, This topic is also really personal to me because my first book will actually be a nonfiction book coming out next spring from New Growth Press. I have uh, two uh, Christian co-authors and we're writing a book about how to explore and engage popular culture uh, as parents to help uh, kids to uh, appreciate pop culture and to see it in light of the Bible. So we deal with a lot of these questions in that book, so uh, maybe some of this panel will be getting into there as well. My name is Larry Brooks. i (laughs) C.W. Breyer. And
4: I have written a number of short stories and often in uh, the horror realm, dark fantasy, and I have a novel, Whispers from the Depths, and that one, part of my actual pitch was I found new ways to kill people with water, and that helped me helped me land a contract. So, I would like to get under the skin of the reader a little bit. I like things to hurt, as I and, but that's But it's, that's there for a reason. It's both to unnerve you, to build suspense, but also death isn't a pleasant thing. And so you're gonna feel the weight of it. It's, you're gonna, it's gonna hurt. And you can still have an adventure there, you can still have some, some great escape in the story, but I don't want to ignore the fact that people dying, even as villains, is not the way life is meant to be. All right.
2: Question In one sentence, tell me who you are. Ten minutes later. This, this is why these guys are novelists, and I'm a short story writer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no thanks, guys. All right, we're gonna do. Uh, we're just gonna start with questions from the audience because I know that uh, since there are a number of you here, there are several. I will try and repeat the question for the sake of the recording, as long as I can hear you. So do try to project. So who has a question for any any member or all of the panel? Way in the back, red shirt. Yeah. Okay. You got a red shirt? <laughs> <laughs> That's
7: blue, right? Okay. Um, about profanity. So people swear in real life.
4: Uh, and I'm curious how, as Christian authors, you would interpret verses like Let no one some talk
7: about your mouth, but only that which is good for building up that the occasion, or the other one which would be, I forget the exact reference, but it's like um, it's like craft-joking uh, craft and obscene language which isn't, has no place in, uh, in the church. So if, if you're the ones creating that, how would you interpret those verses?
2: Okay, so, given what appear to be missives in Scripture about not using coarse language or swearing, how do you justify doing so as an author?
4: So I will mention that the one verse specifically says, out of our mouth, and I'm better at doing it with my mouth than some of my characters. Uh, I, I think there is a distinction. You're, you're reporting what's been said. Uh, for example, if you were to go to court and someone says, what did the you know, so-and-so say at this scene? You can paraphrase, but really, it's are, are you are you speaking the words or are you saying what someone else said? In that moment and that's I think there's a distinction that's there I think it's also very muddy the lines of what is profanity that's part of the problem uh, travel to another European spe- or another English-speaking country like say Scotland the rules are very different uh, we are on third generation English cursing the first generation was very religious based second generation was very bodily based now we're going into based on people groups and things like that uh, things that were cursing for our grandparents, are losing status as cursing, are now showing up in kids' films. And we can be shocked at that and say, oh my goodness, what? why is this in there? But then we can realize goodness probably was looked down upon 100 years ago. So the word, we decide what words are cursing at our current location and current time. And there's no hard set rules. The only thing that Bible, the Bible is really specifying is, don't use the Lord's name in vain. The specific list of words is never given in scripture. Uh, That said, I don't think that just says, we just ignore that and just go off. Again, I'm better at refraining my own tongue than my own characters. If I don't need to put the word in the book, it's not going in the book. Uh, If there's any sort of vulgar talk, I will consider whether I can find a way around it. And uh, also consider the fact that my audience, my grandparents might think of it as cursing, but a lot of my friends, even those who are in church, might say this is no longer a curse word. It's, we think it's clear, especially growing up in church, but the, the lines of what is profanity at this exact moment, at this exact
0: place, is not clear at all. 100% seconded with him saying that the command does say, let no unwholesome word or coarse joking come out of your mouth. But the text also says, and the the reference I'm lapsing on, but it says uh, some forms of immorality must not even be named among you. Uh, The Apostle Paul specifically talking to the church. So that's another challenge, you know, what does must not even be named? (coughs) Especially because several kinds of immorality are specifically named in Scripture. You know, we don't get a diagram or, you know, a, a slow motion replay of it, but the Bible itself does contain lots of words And in some translations, uh, like the King James Version, includes a word which I will not utter here, uh, which is uh, a vulgarity now. I mean, I think it could probably get into a G-rated kids' film, uh, but it is a vulgarity used to describe exactly what men do. Uh, So that is another challenge. Um, Two extremes, uh, at least two extreme views that I've seen about curse words in fiction specifically are the one we're probably familiar with, which is don't have any, ever, no words that anyone could possibly take offense to, which I think is an impossible standard. The other extreme is, and I've actually been through this one and trying to come out of it, is, well, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Other than that, you're good. Um, and I've actually found my vocabulary, at least in private, uh, I'm disclosing this now, okay, has actually <laughs> coarsened too much. And I'm, I'm pulling back from that because I did notice... That by using those words I was becoming a more angry skeptical disillusioned individual now your mileage may vary that may be my particular weakness and in that case I'm accountable before the Holy Spirit and before the people I know to work that out to to repair that but in that case the sin is not coming because of the word in my mouth but what I say might be pulling that anger or that bitterness or any of those sins up from my heart. So that's more about the personal use. As for fiction, I think it really is about audience. Um, If you're a Christian who is writing for an evangelical audience or more Christian readers, or that's just who picks up on your book, then I think it's important to be sensitive to the beliefs that they have, even if we disagree. Uh, There can be a, a response that we have uh, to, to Christians who think that all, all words are bad words and we can almost be legalistic against them in response. And I, I think that everyone's in process and we need to be sensitive to that. But, like our guys at the end of the table here, you know, if you're writing for an audience that is, expects those words,
5: then it really is about what the audience expects. <clears throat> well, again, I agree with uh, these two. Um, it, it's just, it, <clears throat> it's so hard to know what will offend somebody and it, it, you, cu- you have to follow your own heart, uh, you don't, if you need to use the word to do, in, um, in 13th tribe, a little boy gets shot and his father is just distraught over it, holding him, he's so crazy about it, he's trying to push the blood back into the hole and he's just begging, you know, he's, he's just insane Um, he gets shot too and they're both lying there together and the person who shoots him or them walks by and says something snarky and he says go to hell well I I would have said that and more Uh, I received quite a few letters from people saying I can't believe you said go to hell hell is such an eternal terrible thing that you should not wish that on anyone and I'm thinking absolutely in that situation I would be doing it and I would mean it um, I understand what the what the complainers were saying, but I just I disagree that that's something that you shouldn't say ever, and especially in that situation. So if you go around with that kind of magnifying glass on your language, you won't write anything. So I, I, I have to follow my own instincts and my own heart on the, on things like that. Um, I, I I I agree with a bunch of what's been said. Uh, so
6: far, so I'll try not to repeat it, but uh, I I, I try to come with a a bit of sensitivity for people who are like, I really don't like F-bombs, and and at the same time hold that intention with, like, this is who these characters are, this is how they speak. Um, You you can write characters absolutely true to life, and there will be more F-bombs on the page than you could imagine. Like, like if you actually tape speech it's much different than what we think speech is like 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 if, if you transcribe speech it's amazing how bad it is you, you, you don't actually want your art to look like that you want to you you want to invoke that again it's very similar to it's it, 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 it's not true to life it's invoking truth to life so 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 as, as a person who like first I try to write the line right this is how they would say it this is how it would would come out and be snappy and and, and, and and be true to their characters. Some some characters are more educated. Some characters have bigger vocabularies. Some characters swear more often. Some characters don't use F words, but they absolutely try to offend in creative ways yeah. with with their vocabulary, which which is more obscene than an F word that doesn't actually hold any meaning. Except I'm mad. Um, so I try to do that true to, true to life first and. And then honestly, I spend a little while, one little editing pass, I mean, you just do man F, F-U-C, and I go through and I say, is this one necessary? Is this one necessary? Is this one necessary? And, you know, 183 times through almost 400,000 words, I'll say in my latest book. Uh, it, it, it's like I, I, I'm looking at every single one of those it, because I want I, I want to put forward the best art I can do and, and that's being true to the characters and being true to the situation uh, but at the same time it's like I, I, I don't need to have five times that many uh, it, it's like okay I can, it, are there better ways I can say that that absolutely captures that in that character's voice and if there's not it's like that one stays
7: Well, oh, I don't know where to start. Um, first of all, I think we have to remember... Is this on? Yes. Am I projecting? Yes. Okay, I can't tell over here. Um, I think we have to remember that the way people speak in this society is different than the way people speak in most books. I think we have to remember that most fantasy takes place in an imaginary world, in the future, in some other territory. None of that language has to be in there. I have 40 books. I've never used the FBO. I don't have to. And I think we're smart enough, and we can be smart enough, to find ways to express exasperation, rage, anger, hatred, whatever, if that's part of what the story calls for, without using those words. You know, we're better than that, be better than that. It's it's a shock value, like somebody said down here, for the most part. Look at all the movies that incorporate those, the TV shows that use those words all the time now. It's like it's commonplace. Are we not better? than the movies and TV? God, I hope so. I mean, we're struggling here to be good writers, and the way you be a good writer is you find other ways to express the emotions and the situation than resorting to a curse word or a forbidden word or a word we don't need. Also, I'll say again, who are you? That's what should be in the book. Who you are should be the story, and that's what defines you, and that's what's going to bring your audience to you. Do you really want an audience of people who use the F word all the time? I don't. I do.
2: <laughs> 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 hey, you guys can hang out of the mic till we get to the next question, that's fine. Uh, yes, sir. In the back.
4: Yes, yeah, so my question is specifically directed toward Brent Weeks, as I know you've dealt with this in your fiction, but anyone can answer. Um, and my question is, how do you uh, personally navigate um, writing
6: scenes with sexual content as a Christian, and where do you draw your limits as you're trying to navigate your way through writing those scenes? Carefully. Look, I find that uh, that sexuality is a a strong motivating force in people's lives. And and how they feel about it, uh, what they'll do to express it, um, whether they have shame, what what, what what how that expresses itself in their lives, uh, is is often of vital importance to the character. Um, their experiences with sexuality can be key turning points in their life, in their in their. Um, in, in their understanding of themselves. So I think ignoring sexuality um, is a mistake. I, I, I think just like pretending like, that's just not part of our lives, because if we talk about that, that'll, that'll turn off a bunch of readers. I, I, I think that's actually a mistake that the, the churches made. We just, we just go, we're not gonna talk about that. Well, where do people learn about it then? They, they, yeah, they, in school. Well, here's the biology, and, and the little, happy little sperm, you Well, know, <laughs> they Well, they, 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 they absorb those lessons from popular culture. It's like, okay, we have nothing to say about that. So, we've got a blank on our side, and there's a, a river of sewage on the other side. And, you know, and some clear streams. But, but, like, it's like, sorry kids, you don't need to learn about that until you're 20. Put them out there. That's just not realistic. And and, and so it's like I, I can talk about people. I, I think I can portray people as it's part of their life. If it's, if it's important to them, if it's important to the plot of the story, it's going to be there. And 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 it, 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 if important things happen in in the bedroom, then there's there's a time and a place for me to talk about that. And um, and if it's like okay. Uh, they go in there and they have sex, and now they've just had sex, and that's the important thing. It's like we don't need to see that scene. That that scene is just in there uh, to to arouse readers or to titillate or whatever. And it's like I'm not interested in doing that. Uh, if they go in there and they and they have a conversation that's heartbreaking, it's like well then that actually that actually needs to be in there because they change trajectories. Um, it, so, so, so I kind of see it as it's an important part of the character's lives. If important stuff happens there, I don't want to ignore it. Um, I, I don't want to wall it off and never have it be important in the character's lives um, just because I'm too timid. Uh, at, at the same time, I try to be very careful about how does this read? and what, What's this about? What's this evoking? And you know, different readers are gonna come to it differently, so I, like, I can do it perfectly for what I'm trying to do, which is unlikely in the first place. But even if I did, for some readers I would go awry. And, and that's just like, I'm willing to make mistakes and while I'm doing my best. So I might do it differently
7: in the future. I had this overpowering urge to tell you about my sex education class in high school in the 60s, but I'm going to refrain from this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, that's what reminded me, but it's even worse than that. Um, But I I think Brent's right. I, I mean, there's nothing wrong, per se, with writing about sex. What's wrong about writing about sex is when it's graphic. And you know you're not actually accomplishing anything except being salacious, and, and your readers are, you know, titillated by what you're writing. Those scenes don't need to be in anything we're writing, for crying out loud. What we're writing has to do with the characters we're writing about, and it says something about the character, and if the scene needs to be in there, then we, there are ways to express it. The really good writers in this world, and I've read a lot of them, and Judene has read a lot of them too, know how to do that without ever saying anything overtly sexual. They can write terrific scenes about what a sexual scene or a sexual act might accomplish, or might not accomplish, or something of that sort. And those kinds of things are fine. I, I don't think any of us have any trouble with that. Although I beginning to wonder, ever since I got the letter from uh, the woman in Utah who said you know, I used to like your books, but I read Magic Kingdom for sale, and there's a naked woman in there. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, there is a naked woman. Is that wrong, now?
3: <laughs>
0: First, an AM radio-style disclaimer. My views do not represent those of this station or its management. <laughs> um, a lot of the answers so far have been about sex scenes. Um... I think it's important as writers to note that first, books and movies are different. With a movie, you have to hire people, you have to pay them, you have to put in their contracts that they're okay with taking their clothes off for a scene. And you have to coax them into doing it a lot of the time. Um, There's been a lot of controversy lately with hashtag me too. I mean, it's broadened out a lot, but it's very important to pay attention that a lot, not all, but a lot of the situations where there were movies uh, with exploitation of actors, a lot of female actors, they were not happy with that. Um, if you go back to Harvey Weinstein and many others, you know, there, there's been some exploitation going on and a lot of that stuff has come out about how actresses in particular didn't like what they were being made to do. Now we can debate about whether you know, if they like it, it's okay, but in some cases, it's a bounded choice. You know, consent only goes so far if there's a power dynamic. If there's a powerful producer, you know, who holds all the cards, and there's an actress who's trying to make it big in pictures, then, you know, she may consent, but anyway, the point is that a lot of those exploitative scenes have had some problems in how they were put together. Now, switching back to books, then, I think it's important to consider how much are we, as writers, being informed by the movies. A book is not a movie. So you might be able to get away with things in your book because, after all, no one actually got naked for the making of this book, unless it was you. (laughs) The character. (laughs) I'm not gonna argue with the creative process behind the (laughs) book. Maybe that helps you. I don't know. (laughs) But what you might be able to do in a book is to, like, like Terry was saying, you can show the consequences. And I think it's important because we are sexual beings and that's how God made us. I think that as Christians, especially in this world now, we already know violence isn't great, you know, and and we can debate about the bad words, but there's so much confusion about sex and identity, and I'll just leave it at that. I think it would be important to show that if two characters have a relationship, uh, that there are consequences. You know, not just disease and things like that, but there are emotional consequences. And that, I think, will be important for a Christian writer's story to show regardless of what audience you're writing for. And if we don't include exploration of human sexuality in its healthy forms and in its dysfunctional forms in our stories, then we're not going to be able to represent reality. And people are not going to actually feel that there are consequences to these behaviors. They'll just go back to the TV shows where, or the movies, where they may show it as a bad thing, maybe just for the drama of it. But there's consequences that are very bad, and actual people are being hurt by this because it, it just keeps going, and there's got to be a way to address that in fiction uh, without actually exploitating people. So, I brought this topic up with my wife. I haven't, There's no
4: sex scenes and whispers from the depths, but I did tell her, you know, there's a day I might have to write a sex scene in a book, and she just kind of nods, like, whatever. She, I'll, I'll mention she's way more shy than I am. And I said, I might have to write it from the female perspective. And she's like, yeah, whatever. And I said, I might have to ask you some questions. And her eyes go wide, and she just goes, head shape, no.
3: <laughs>
4: uh, that, that's her personality. Uh, and I, was, I was mostly getting a, a dig into her. But anyway, uh, But the, you ask about what our limits are as Christians. in mean, part of it's expressing that this is what's going on in the world. It's part of life. Uh, as a Christian, we have a chance, I think, to... Show the gift that God has given through sex, and that is often missed in stories, especially in a secular market, in the movies. Can't we show that there is a gift to this uh, instead of just an act that's enjoyable? On the other side, we can also show that there's a lot of consequences when we take things outside of what God has given us. There's a lot of pain and suffering that can come when things are done wrong. That's often glossed over in a lot of secular stories. So there's opportunities there as Christians to change the way we look at things in life that's much needed. And if we never dig into it, I'm not saying we need to put it in all of our fiction, but if if no one ever digs into that topic, there's never an opportunity to discuss it. Now, what would be my personal limit? Uh, It would be intitulation. That's not the point. It's not to generate lust. Uh, that's if there's nothing that has to be shown on a page, it will never be on the page, and that's a good rule. And in, in general, if it doesn't need to be on the page, we're we're supposed to cut it anyway. But if we if we limit ourselves, we can't speak to the world. But at the same time, too, if we're just trying to get a rise out of the reader, then at that point, I think we're becoming the world.
2: Oh yeah, we got uh, questions galore, front row. Okay, so I I
7: noticed that. You, there are no women on the panel, so... I noticed it, too. We all know that.
4: Wait, wait, I will say this for Realm Defense. There was supposed to be someone, but with, with scheduling, they couldn't. Right. Um,
3: so,
2: um, first of all, I, I was wondering what practical steps that you take um, to avoid um, causing your brother to sin, or causing your readers to sin um, in sexual... in talking about sex. Um, and also, uh, are you, as male authors, aware that females lust differently than you do? And how do you deal with that? And do you do you prepare yourself for maybe changing the way that you write to accommodate the sins and the struggles of women?
4: So, am I aware that women are different? Yes, I have realized that at some point. <laughs> Uh, no, and, and it's, when I mention the story of my wife, it's only half-joking because, honestly, I would have to pass it by some, probably some female authors to get their input if I did write a scene like that. And there's one story I'm considering in the future to write. I need their input. Is this realistic? Am I messing this up as a dude? Uh, and, but I'm going to broaden the question, are we causing to sin, I would say, not just in sex, but in other ways? The question of language. Are we just being casual with language and encouraging our language to get worse? Um, are we making lying easier and, and giving excuses to make it a smaller white lie? Uh, stealing, any, any sin that's there, because sin fills the pages of the books, it's often tied to conflict. Um, there needs to be context. Some of the weight goes onto the shoulders of the reader as well. So I'm going to say we should be aware as Christians. We train ourselves as Christians, and we, we put stories onto the page. I think the training is where that we are prepared for that, and that's where we're made aware of this maybe shouldn't be on the page. And through prayer and stuff and conversations with fellow Christian authors and readers, we can, they can let us know when we cross the line we're going too far, because that can happen. But in reality, it's being at church on Sunday. It's, it's talking with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Grow to be, train yourself to put what's on there and have a proper motive. It's never to make a dollar. I mean, I'm well aware of how much money is in the erotica market. I'm well aware that I can make a lot of money much more easily there. I'm not writing there, both because it's not of interest to me, but also as a Christian, I'm just not going there. If I wanted money, I could write erotica. Um, But as a Christian, I I don't think I can stand before God and be proud of that. Other authors, uh, do you need me to repeat the question, or...?
0: Do you have his hand? Not yet. No. Not yet. Yeah. Go on. Let me grab it real quick. So Mary referenced the the passage in Scripture where the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is warning against causing your brother to stumble. Those passages are about specific situations the Apostle Paul knows about in the local church or churches to which he's writing. So he's, he's writing about this and saying, whatever you do, even if it's not evil, make sure that no one you know, present situation, is going to be tempted by what you do because they associate it with something evil. Mm -hmm. I would, not necessarily kill, but I would love to have talked with the Apostle Paul to ask him, okay, you're talking about, you know, the church in Galatia or the church in the Corinth or something like that. What about an environment like this where it's not just the people around you, but you're actually writing a story in which people do this, you know, how can you possibly allow for anything that might make a reader stumble? There's lots of trauma out there, folks. You know, we're not even talking about stuff that makes you sin, just something that literally might give you something like a trigger. There's some, it's correct to have trigger warnings in some cases, especially with all the trauma that's out there. So how could you possibly allow for that? Well, I think that we ought to use our local churches and the people around us, our critique groups, our friends at Realm Makers or any other groups we're in as a microcosm. I mean, I think the sensitivity reader thing might be overblown. But there's a good impulse there. You know, maybe it ought not be as uh, dominating as it can be, and I don't think it should be done over Twitter, but it can be done with the friends and companions that God has given us to, to try to figure out, okay, what, what's actually going to cause someone to stumble, that they're going to associate with sin, or what could cause someone to be hurt, like literally hurt and flashback to something terrible that happened to them.
5: All right, so when we start talking about Uh, making our brothers or our sisters stumble I think the first thing most of us think about is the actual showing of something. Mm -hmm. I think that there are we are allowing our brothers and sisters to stumble oftentimes when we don't talk about something. And and I know Brent and, and Terry mentioned this. How else are our young people going to learn? So sometimes for me it might be that I, I'm causing a brother or sister to stumble simply by not addressing a sexual issue, or or whatever it is. But I wouldn't automatically say that putting any sexual situation in a book is making a brother or sister stumble. I, I think I think that we need to be conscious of what we are putting out there, and oftentimes it includes here is a perhaps a healthy. Sexual situation. This is what this looks like, or an unhealthy one. But it's it, it's not automatically withdrawing from the topic. So we just have to be true to ourselves, and as we said before, true to our hearts. But not be not necessarily censor what we what we should be writing about. So. Um,
6: um, in, in, in terms of you know getting women's perspectives, I mean, hey, I would love there to be women on this panel with us. Uh, I'm just I'm me, and, and and here I am to talk about what what I know. Um, when I write women, I I'll, I talk it over with my wife. I I I, I try to. The, the women always give me the most trouble. Honestly, just <laughs> just, just, just really understanding. <laughs> It's, it's like I'll complain about it sometimes, You're right? right. <laughs> and it, it, it's like I, I I know I'm not getting her quite right, and, and I'll talk it over with my wife, and 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 we'll do that and on on all sorts of things. I, I mean, I, I I talked with a uh, a friend of mine is a, a cross country coach at at a college, and so she works with elite female athletes, and I'm like, well, what talk to me about elite female athletes so that I can portray these these women who are, are, are bad, life is... <laughs> Sorry, somebody was going to stumble on that one. <laughs> Tell me how they view their bodies. How do they feel about that? What do they feel uncomfortable about? What do they feel proud of? How do they experience themselves in the world? in ways that I might not imagine. And she's like, God, you know, people talk about my manly shoulders and it kills me. I hate that. <laughs> and, you know, and, and different things. Uh, you know, I think we all work out so hard we skip periods and stuff and it just happens all the time. You know, like things that I just wouldn't think of immediately. So, so, so I, I just lump that in with like research I do to try to get things right. And, and, and it, this happens to involve women. Um, so so I, I, I try to Ask about that. I mean, my editors have always been women. Um, I, uh, there's lots of women. I mean, I have women in my in my beta readers. I you know my but like I have women who, who can give me input. Um, and uh, so, I, I think the causing to stumble kind of question has has been addressed reasonably well. I do think about it. Um, and and, and, and sometimes rewrite scenes and, and look at them critically and go, yeah, this is this is honest and this is this is well done. Does it need to happen? Let me look at that again in two weeks. And, and, and you know, i kind of I do give it thought. I, it doesn't mean I get it right all the
7: time. Good to hear.
3: <laughs>
7: I just realized I've never been on a panel with all men. In 40 years, never. Usually it's all women and me. (laughs) So this is, uh, I I don't know, a seminal moment in my life. I live in a matriarchy, basically. The men go, the women stay. Uh, So far I've hung in there. Um, As a result, um, my whole life has been informed by women, uh, pretty much. Uh, And this gives me a chance to learn firsthand about how women feel, they'll talk to you, won't you? You will. And I I don't think it's our job so much to misportray women as it is to portray them correctly. Uh, And it's not our job to teach you. I really get all itchy about the idea of providing didactic material on how to behave so that you don't have sex inadvertently or wrongly or something. Um, This is like the parents that talk to you about uh... giving the lecture the talk to the kids about sex right uh, and they give it to the kids about five years too late every single time because the kids already know all this because they talk to each other and their friends some somebody always knows all this stuff so the question is what are you going to do with this and everybody's talked about the context The context is everything how you put anything in your book that relates to sex and whether, in, in, whether it's informative for the purposes of saying this might not be such a good idea, or maybe this is when you know it's a real, uh, it's really love and not just lust, something like that. That's what makes all the difference, and I think that's the thing that we have to focus on as writers as to how we put it in the context that makes sense for what the book needs to have. And if we can't figure that out, it probably shouldn't be in there. You know, we don't need it. It doesn't have to be in there.
2: All right, we've got room for at least one more. Um.
8: So we've already talked about language and sex, so I think we should hit another big one, which is violence. Um, so how, how do we treat violence in a respectful way when writing about it? Um, and I think we can all agree that there's the kind of the graphic way, the glorifying way that we, you might see in a film like 300. Um, or there's on the other hand, you've got the uh, the modern realistic way that you might see in Saving Private Ryan, or the or the heroic, pre-modern way that you might see, for example, in Troy. Of, of those other two, the 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 heroic and the, the realistic, you know, how do you incorporate those in fantasy? How should you incorporate those into fantasy? Are they respectful? Brent, uh, you
2: touched on this
6: uh, early on in this in this panel. Uh, would you like to expand on that at all for this? Or, uh... Sure. I, I, I mean, I, I think you are talking about Troy. Like, if we look at our precursor Homer, um, he wrote about he, he wrote about violence, and he wrote uh, he wrote about it in ways that made it awesome. It was awesome to see these guys do their stuff. And, and and they had what was were called Aristias. You would get to see this guy go out there and be the best that day. And he would go kick everybody's butt. And he's killing guys left and right. And, and, and you know his audience was just cheering. And at the same time, because he's Homer and he's an amazing artist, he would show, you know, is it awesome when this guy who's actually a pretty great hero, and we've seen him yesterday, being the big guy of the day, he takes a spear through the teeth, and, and the spear comes out his neck, and then we see his wife wailing over his body, and, 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 and then we see people, people mutilating the corpses, and, and everybody being like, that's a bad idea, shouldn't do that, and, and they do it anyway, because they're so enraged, they're so angry, they will go way outside of the bounds, and, and then the gods will curse them and, and so he engages with all of these things in, in ways that, that you could be like oh this totally goes into bloodlust here that's what this is you're just showing it so that people glory in it and, and to me I go he's showing a truth about, about young men especially they like to kill stuff especially their enemies they like to destroy things. And then he's coming back and being like, let's look at that. Let's look at what you just did. And I, I, I think that's a, a, an amazing, you know, obviously far pre-Christian... Um, But but it's an amazing artistic balance that he he sets there. As a kid, you're probably listening around the fire to that story because they didn't have kids lit at that point. It was just lit. Uh, Even literature, it was like sit around the fire and listen to cool stories. Um, And you're probably like, that's awesome. I want to grow up and be Achilles and kill dudes. And and then later you're kind of like, oh, yeah, I've been in some battle now, and and I feel kind of icky about it sometimes. And then later you're like, yeah, I had friends and they died in this stuff. And you've been on all sides of it. Maybe you don't understand the story the first time you read it. Maybe you're not there yet. Um, so, 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 so I, I, I think we can, um, we can aim for that kind of artistry and not everybody's gonna get it. Not everybody's an equally good reader and not every, not every artist is, a, is an equally good writer, but, 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 but you can show sides of it. And, and, and I, show, I show young men sometimes really enjoying killing while understanding that it's kind of awful what they're doing, so so, so I, I always put a little seed in there like they kind of understand it, but they kind of like it too. And what does that
7: say about us? I mean, it's kind of terrible, but I think it's true. I just add uh, that we're a society that's become numbed to a large extent by violence. Uh, it's a much different time, uh, and the the uh, school shootings. Um, the mass killings, uh, they are so commonplace that when you read it in the newspaper, it's almost like, there they go again, another one of those. But there's an old truth about the way in which uh, violence works in books, uh, and in life, too. You can wipe out an entire nation of people that you don't know, and it doesn't mean anything, because there's no personal connection. Kill one puppy that you become familiar with, and you're devastated. And that's a a trick you have to remember, is that everything that you write about should be reduced to the personal level at some point in order to make the impact you wanna make on your audience. So if you write about that one warrior who goes down, or that one hero, or that one main character, or anybody who is killed, if we've come to know that character, we're going to have a response to that death. You're not going to have that same response to a death, a number of deaths where we don't know any of the people involved. And that's part of what you have to factor into however you're going to describe anything that happens.
2: Um, if you guys are okay with hanging out for an extra couple of minutes, I just checked the schedule. There's not really anything going on, so we've got room for it. I saw one more question in the center. Yeah, you in the green shirt.
5: I'm wondering, how would you portray the darkness of the world in the sin? How would you portray
2: as sin and not be overly preachy, if that makes sense. Portraying sin without being a <laughs> preachy. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, I
6: just answered uh,
7: so, Bob, why don't yeah, you... Yeah, you uh, down
5: now. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, there are, you know, writer's tools to handling those things. Writer's devices, you know, it could be... Um, an allegory of something, or a metaphor. Um, I think that a, a lot of writers don't appreciate the um, the way readers fill in the gaps, and we don't have to be explicit about a lot of things. We can hint and we can use innuendo, and um, it may even be worse for the reader because his or her imagination is just going to be vivid. And I might say something that's dark and, and leaning up to something, and, um, and that reader is going to just fill in the blanks a lot more salaciously than I would have written them. Um, I have a scene in um, uh, Judgment Stone where some bad guys grab a girl and drag her up the stairs, don't we don't follow them and uh, the next morning he's the guys dragging the girl back down the stairs and my editor said that is way too heavy that that just made me sick and I said well tell me what exactly did make you sick and she went back while she was on the phone with me to to reread it and said oh there was nothing there you know basically it was the dragging up the stairs and dragging back down the stairs and and so I mean, there's ways to handle it. And, and again, I think I think leaving some things out are, are more are more po- powerful. Um, sometimes I'll add things in just so the reader doesn't feel it more than I want them to. Um, so there are ways to handle that. Does that answer your question? For the, from from you? I feel
3: so, a little bit, yeah.
5: Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, Chuck. I'll add something on that. I would say, if you,
4: specifically the question about how you avoid being preachy, I don't think we need a lot of help knowing what's evil. Uh, for us up here, we're writing stuff that we're maybe not you know, brushing the evil under the carpet, so to speak, whereas some authors will write something that does gloss over more for a different audience, and that's okay. There's different audiences with different expectations. But as for avoiding the preachiness, what I would say is let the characters in the story tell you it's wrong, not the the author as the narrator. And the narration might come out actually through dialogue, but it's you can still tell it's the author speaking. As soon as we step in and interrupt the story, then it's a sermon. Uh, so you it's it's similar to show, don't tell. You it's much more effective to show the characters weeping over it and show the, the emotional turmoil, show the questions going on in their head about how life has now changed. That hurts way, way more um, than us jumping in there and getting a long speech that's in there. And that's where the preachiness comes from. It's just not good art, so to speak. Uh, you can have a very powerful sermon through
0: story as long as it's still story. I'd say that in order to show evil convincingly, but not preachingly, if that's a properly conjugated word, it's all in the world building. Uh, Not so much the world building of your novel, especially if you're writing for a general audience, but that view of evil, why it doesn't belong here, and how it manifests, the corruption of the good, all of God's good gifts being stolen from God and made into idols, all of that comes from scripture, and it is what builds our world. If you're a Christian writer, the Bible, the gospel, and its view of evil is what builds your world. And even though our fiction shouldn't be preaching, I mean, I'm basically kind of preaching right now, so that has to get done when you're in church or you know, studying scripture with your friends or any of that, such that you have that deep down in your heart. You, you know it more intuitively. It's like just the basic grasp of the alphabet you're still going to have those thorny issues as to how and what to represent on the page and how much detail to go into and what who your audience is and whether someone's going to be sensitive to that. But you at least have that intuitive grasp of what evil is, where it comes from, and what's most important is the fact that Jesus Christ has promised to fix it. He will renew all of creation. He'll wipe away every tear. And for those who trust him, he's already taken away the consequence for that sin.
2: And uh, I'm glad that we're ending on such a a big topic, uh, because it's a great segue. Um, Number one, when I say this is a big topic, by the way, how many of you are members of the Realm Makers Consortium on on, on the Facebooks? Most of you? Yeah, you will notice that this exact topic, this exact question, probably comes up twice a month. So you know, if, if you want to continue the discussion, <laughs> feel free. Uh, those of you who aren't in the consortium, I... moderators will love you.
3: <laughs>
2: as, as one of the so admins, you'll be my favorite God, person. Uh, but I'm no, it's, seriously though, we do. Uh, it, the mod the, skins are crawling the, right the topic. now. Oh so <laughs> right.
4: no, this is going to happen next week. It does. It's, it's how it is.
2: The topic comes up uh, probably twice a month. Um, it's a big topic, and it's worth and it's worth discussing. I want to thank. Our panelists for being willing to discuss a lot of these topics today.
1: Uh, our thanks to Realmakers for letting us share that panel discussion with you, our listener. Um, Stephen, I really loved listening to this. I one particular part really stood out to me. It's how Brent Weeks talked about the role of a writer as court reporter. You know, just as a court reporter is not sinning. By typing down a swear word that a witness says that the defendant said, you know, that's how he sees his role. But, you know, there is so much to unpack there about language and all the other topics that are talked about. So, to you, our listener, if, if one of these topics really stood out to you, like, hey, maybe we should do a whole episode about that, let us know. I, I think there's a lot that we could talk about. You know, we could break this down into different topics maybe in the future. So, if that's interesting to you, let us know.
0: I really appreciated just hearing from the authors. I mean, even if I wasn't a writer myself, just knowing that authors, many of whom are professing Christians, are wrestling with these issues. Uh, They're trying to discern their role as the storyteller. You know what? What is their job? What is their duty before God if they are a biblical Christian? Not to tempt the reader. Should they? How much should they shield the reader from bad language or ideas? Christians of goodwill can come to different conclusions about that. I certainly have my own views, which I was glad to join them and share. But it was an encouragement for me just to know that, hey, at least some authors are wrestling with these questions. They're not being flippant about them. They're not saying whatever. Uh, They're not tossing out those old concerns about violence and sex and language as if they're just completely so passe and all we have to worry about now is whether or not your book is racist. No, they're taking this seriously, and I I really appreciated that. Uh, Now we come to the brief bit where I reveal that Easter egg. If you heard the audience uh, tittering just a little bit uh, when uh, C.W. Breyer was talking, here's what was up. And now I I may have to go talk with him and let him know what was going on, if he even remembers. So you may remember that he mentioned that he wrote a horror novel uh, with some underwater elements, and he mentioned that uh, he felt he had to research all the ways that liquid can kill you, so just a few seconds uh, from there, I was, I was sitting next to him. I reached over, and I just slid away from him uh, the styrofoam cups that were filled with uh, ice-drinking water for the panel <laughs> participants. I wish
1: I could have seen that. I think
0: the audience noted that, and he was deep in thought, and uh, I think you may not have noticed because he was actually taking it seriously, whereas I was just goofing off. I hope I wasn't too distracting there. Still worth it. I regret nothing. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I, I loved the whole discussion. I, I thought there was a lot of grace, a lot of unity. We're, we're all trying to figure this stuff out, and you know, even in my own writing, I think I know how I'm going to handle it, and because I, I think I know who my audience is. But to you, our listener, how do you handle this stuff? How do you handle grittier than PG-13 themes of sex, violence, language, and other challenging content? You know, if if you're writing something, or just if you're reading something, or you're trying to decide what your kids should read. You know, how do you personally handle these topics? We would love to get your feedback and feature it on our show and in our fantastic fan segment. So send us an email, to podcast at lorehaven.com or leave a comment at www.lorehaven.com. And now we're going to hear from one of our fantastic fans.
0: Here's one note we received from a listener named A. Walker S. And he was writing about his journey to discover fantastic fiction. Quick note here, he says, quote, for me, it was, you will go to the moon. I still have my damaged and very used copy, end quote. We have another fantastic origin story from Scott H., who writes, quote, for years, I tried to find the first book that I remember really instilling a love for reading science fiction. I had found it on the attic stairs of a house we moved into when I was in fifth grade. I already loved things sci-fi slash fantasy before this, but for some reason it struck a chord to me as far as reading. I was finally able to track it down a few years ago and was thrilled when I found it on eBay cheap, read about five pages of it, decided it really sucked. And I have no idea why I loved this as a kid. (laughs) It now sits on my bookshelf in the special books section because I still love the memory of it, despite not liking it now. LOL. End quote. I think we can all identify with that. And in that case, we can praise the Lord that he kept us from realizing it was actually a bad book, but we could still enjoy it anyway and kind of envy the time when we didn't know any better.
1: (laughs) Well, hopefully, Scott, you're still enjoying some good books now. And again, to you, our listener, share your story of how you became a fantastical reader. You can leave a comment on our website or you can email us at podcast at lorehaven.com. We would love to share your story with our audience. In our next episode of Fantastical Truth, we have a bonus
0: presentation. This is an audiobook excerpt from Amish Zombies from Space. That's book two in sci-fi author Carrie Neitz's Perils in Plain Space series. It's the sequel to Amish Vampires in Space, Amish Zombies from Space. It's actually narrated by Randy Strew. He's the same as the moderator of the Realm Makers panel you just heard. Uh, This excerpt catches us up with the Amish in space and from space and just possibly a zombie or more zombies from space until then stay discerning about the challenges of fiction and thank God that many authors want to do the same as we continue to seek and find fantastical truth.